All right. Welcome to another episode of Survival Mode. Um, it is awesome to be here. I have an amazing person, Angel Falk. And I just, I saw her on social media, just living her life out loud. I kind of peeked in the door and, and she is a fellow survivor, brain tumor survivor. And I just loved her energy and just kind of what she was putting out and how she was living her life. And I had to hear more about her story and we chatted and I'm like, Oh, you got to share. And, um, I just love it. So welcome to the show, Angel. How are you? Thank you for having me, Todd. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So tell, tell me, tell us so just a little bit about you, like kind of, kind of the, the 300,000 foot view of your, your, your days. And then we'll talk a little bit more about your experience. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. I'm a child of the sixties. I have my hippie name, Angel and <laughs> grew up yet yeah, born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama, the deep South and had a, uh, you know, kind of a crazy Jerry Springer lifestyle with my family, but we won't get into all that today. That's another story. Um, but I met my husband in college and we, he's a pharmacist and I'm a teacher. That's what it started my life as an elementary school teacher. And, um, yeah, we have moved around a little bit, but we lived in Franklin, Tennessee for 20 years. So I call that my home. We recently became empty nesters and Dale size bought a smaller house in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just right outside of Franklin. But yeah, I love my life now. I feel like I'm living my dream life, doing what I love every day. And I'm just so grateful. So you're an empty nester. So you have kids? Yes. Yes. We have a beautiful daughter, Lydia, and she's married and she I don't know why, but she became a teacher. She said it was because of all the Little House on the Prairie episodes we watched. And she memorized. <laughs> and I tell her she's 90% Laura, but 10% Nellie. And so, <laughs> but she um, lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, about two hours away. So that's not too bad. And then our son, Ethan, and pray for him today. He's taking three exams at UT Knoxville for engineering. So he's... He's pretty cool. He also plays drums and um, I'm excited, especially excited because he already has a job lined up. So he is going off the payroll come August. So we are excited. Yes. Wow. So that, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, myself included, that is success, right? Off the payroll, they're growing up, they're doing stuff. That is fantastic. So you, uh, You've done good, right? <laughs> yeah, and I—it's not a. So I always say that I give God the glory for everything because honestly, Wade and I did not know what we were doing, <laughs> but by the grace of God, He has taught us. Yes, that is that is fantastic. That is fantastic, and so let me ask you a question. So tell me a little bit about your story like you know you you're you're a teacher and were you a teacher when this occurred like tell me a little bit about like kind of the that that time period I would love to hear a little bit more about that 
Yeah, sure. Um, so after getting married, I taught school for five years. And I always say Wade is just like the perfect husband for me. God knew who, who I was marrying because we decided early on that once we had children, I was going to be a stay-at-home mommy. So that really is like, that was the best years of my life, being at home, raising my kids before iPhones and all that junk. <laughs> so I got to be a full-time mommy. And then, you know, I loved working out. I loved going to the gym. And since we were on one income, I thought, well, I'll get a job at the gym, you know? So I started folding towels at the front desk and checking people in, but I was always that front row girl in the aerobics classes, you know, always had my big bench, hopping her all around that bench and always in all the classes. And one day the aerobics coordinator said, Angel, you should be teaching classes. You should not be folding towels. So that's how I got my first certification. And I started teaching fitness classes. I loved it. Step aerobics, spinning, all those things. And my kids always were basically raised in the gym as well, two hours a day in the gym. So I continued on that journey because I loved it. Um, and then it was around 2006, I noticed some hearing loss. Okay. And I thought it was either due to all the crazy heavy metal concerts I went to in the 80s or repeatedly using music that was too loud in my classes. Um, but the doctor at the time just said, you know, let's just keep an eye on it. But he did not think it was due to the loud music. So that's kind of the beginning. That was 2006 okay. of, of my diagnosis. Yeah. I grew up in the 80s. We went to those loud concerts for sure. And my grandparents are, you know, they used to say, you're going to lose your hearing you right. know, because they were super loud. And it was easy to right. buy that story for sure. Right. 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 Wow. So, yeah. So that was 2006. And he said, keep an eye on it. Well, I didn't really notice because it was so gradual. But my family was starting to say, we're tired of repeating ourselves. I was always saying, what, what? I couldn't really use the phone on my right side. So I've started using the left side. Um, and I knew, okay. And my husband said, it's getting worse. So fast forward 2003 years later, I woke up in the middle of the night to this crunching noise. It reminded me of having, having paper wadded up, you know, that sound, kind of a crunch sound. I heard that and then nothing. I was completely deaf on the right side. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So that took me back to the doctor. Um, I think I saw three doctors that same day um, because they knew something is up. But they couldn't see anything. Um, so that's what led me to get my MRI. What were you thinking before you got the MRI and the hearing loss? Were you concerned? Like, were you like, oh, kind of freaking out? Or you're like, hey, maybe this is, what were you thinking? I was kind of freaking out. I knew it was something serious. I thought that's, this is not normal. And side note, this is kind of funny, but I thought I saw dried blood in my ear and it was actually, I had dyed my hair the day before. <laughs> so oh that God. was a little hair dye. I thought, why do I have blood in my ear? I cannot hear anything. And I couldn't feel anything as there was no pain. Um, so it, it was a scary time. And it was also the day before I had to check in for our airlines, you know, get my seat and all that, because we were going to California for seven days. Mm -hmm. 
So in the midst of this, I'm like, do I go on this vacation to visit my family and, and all that? I do have some family out there. So the doctor, before I got the MRI and he was saying, we need to schedule the MRI. He said, go on to your vacation. When you get back, then we'll have your MRI. So I spent seven days in California with my kids, my husband, my uncle, my aunt, just having a blast. But in the back of my mind, knowing something seriously wrong and I have to get an MRI when I get home you know it, it was kind of a crazy time but I feel like I live my life like that it's like just one step at a time we don't know what the future holds but you can't let fear of the future hold you back from living your life now I didn't think that way through but now that I look back I see that that's just the way I live my life enjoy every single day because none of us are promised tomorrow right right for sure wow Wow. So you get the MRI, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a story. Do you want to hear it? I totally want to hear it. You get the <laughs> MRI. I'm on pins and needles now because I want to hear how this. Okay. Happens. Well, I had to schedule it on a Friday afternoon, which is the worst time to go to anything because they can't give you results. So I go to the office and it's interesting because the doctor who first checked my ear in 2006 and said, don't worry about it. Keep an eye on it. His office was catty corner to the MRI office. So you could see it at the part, my car, there's his office. Here's this, you know, how medical centers are all together. So I go in to get my MRI and there's posters all over the wall, you know, brain tumors. Yeah. This cannot be my future, you know? So it's grueling. It's probably about 45 minutes on the table. They have to shoot you up with dye to get the contrast. And it was a lot. And you have to be super still and it's loud. It's like a jackhammer pounding. Yeah. Um, so after all of that, I get out and I was basically the only patient left because it was Friday afternoon. And I see the man who had done it you know had sat me up and put me on the table he was reading the reports in the a little office off to the side mm -hmm. and it was so quiet it was like just me and him and I just and I know we're not supposed to but I asked him can I see that can I see my MRI and he just had a sad look on his face and I knew this is not good and he nodded his head and I look at my brain scan and one side my right side had this huge tumor just mashing my brain almost closed there's there's a flow of fluids that go you know from the brain to the brain stem it was almost mashed completely closed and then the left side was perfectly normal and I said I just said I have a brain tumor and with like in disbelief and he just kind of nodded his head and I said I can I take that disc home you know, it's all on the disc. I can see there. And he said, no, because you, you can't read this. It's just impossible. And I said, well, I want to try because <laughs> okay. I wanted my husband to sit because he was at work. You know, he's a pharmacist and worked at CVS till about 10 o'clock at night. So I, I get the disc. He gave it to me. He said, you probably won't figure it out. I sit in the car and I'm just looking at that doctor's office. Like I can't go there. I can't talk to anybody. I'm all alone. Called my husband. I told him. He's like, we'll figure this out. And, and that's what we did. You know, we figured it out. He, he figured out how to read the disc and saw the tumor. We started doing our research, saw that there is a surgery. It's very in-depth, um, very scary and tricky and all that. Um, but we knew that was probably going to be our next step. 
So from your MRI, you get the disc, you guys try to figure it out. Now, was there a referral to a neurosurgeon, neuro, neuro anybody? Like, how did that, how did you get that? How'd you get that going? Right. And it's another time I felt falling through the cracks and completely let down by that first doctor. He completely dropped the ball. I had an appointment with him and I remember having tissues and crying and my husband's with me and he's upset. And the doctor just comes nonchalantly, hasn't even looked at my chart yet. He had no clue. I know. And I said, I have a brain tumor. I was mad at that point. I was mad. And, you know, I always think back, what if I'd have had an MRI in 2006? Maybe I would still have my hearing. I'm completely deaf now. Maybe I wouldn't have this facial paralysis. Um, But I know living in the past does no good. So I'm not going to waste my time there. But I was pretty stinking mad. And he looked and he said, oh, my gosh, we'll we'll get you set up with a doctor. And that was he was supposed to get an appointment for us with a neurosurgeon. But he did not do it. I had to do it myself. Yeah, again, I had to do it myself. So when I called the office, like, where's my appointment? They're like, oh, we haven't done that. We didn't know anything about that. So I've got the name. I don't remember how I got the name, but uh, Dr. Um, David Haynes at St. Thomas in Nashville. And I have a really funny story about meeting him. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear it. We can use some fun right about now because right about now it's not fun, right? All right. It was not fun, but I go to him. I had to go through a whole hearing test. And yes, I'm deaf on one side. They say again. Um, And then when I meet him, I'm sitting in the waiting room and he's talking very handsome, very calm, very um, confident doctor. And he was telling me about the tumor. Um, And then he put his hands up to show me why it was so intense because it was located on my brainstem. And he said, it's like a game of pickup sticks. And I, you know, I have my fingers together. And um, so he had his fingers up like the game of pickup sticks. You know, when you pull one out, how careful you have to be or the whole thing falls out. And that's what the surgery was going to be like because they cannot hit a nerve, you know, and kill me basically. Um, But while he was doing this, I noticed he was missing digits. On he was hands? missing digits on his fingers. He was missing <laughs> fingers. Oh my and so God. at that point, it was like I heard Charlie Brown's teacher, want, want, want. I mean, I heard nothing. I was thinking, you cannot do brain surgery on me. <laughs> and yeah, and when he walks out, my husband and I just stare at each other like disbelief. And and his nurse came in and I was like, how could he do brain surgery? He has, he's missing fingers. And she said, well, he was born that way and he's always wanted to be a surgeon. And all the surgeons that told him he could never do it, they work for him now. He is like top notch, the best in this field. And I still was like, oh my gosh, I can't get over this. And he came back and told me that the surgery was going to be really intense probably 10 to 14 hours. It ended up being a 14 hour surgery, but that he would, yes, 14 hour surgery. So he had to call in another neurosurgeon. So I had two neurosurgeons, Dr. Reed, um, Dr. Reed, I can't believe I'm going blank right now, but anyway, they tag teamed and, um, you know, before, of course I went, went to meet Dr. Reed and, he was amazing and he is at Vanderbilt University and he's the head of brain tumor research. Oh. 
Mm. You know, my husband was very confident in these surgeons and I trust Wade completely. So we just went with it. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a kind of a crazy story. So I, I would be a little bit like, okay, this guy's missing digits. This is my brain involved, but you just were like, Hey, I got, I I have faith. Right. And you just went went with it. That, that is amazing. And let me ask you, because you were saying this before when you, you, you were kind of angry at the other doctor, you're like, this is, I got a brain tumor. Like, what were you like? What, you know, everybody in this world is like, Oh, I think I got a brain tumor. It's like the proverbial thing you worry about. Right. Cause I know my reaction to it, but what were you thinking? Like, Oh my God, I got a brain tumor. Were you like, Holy crap. You know what I mean? Or yeah, I mean, I just thought, am, am I going to die? You know, yeah. is this the end of my life? Right. You know, you don't know, but I really held strongly to my faith and my kids were what kept me going because they were nine and 12 at that time. And I was like, I can't leave them. Mm. I was, you know, I just knew Oh, my dog's out. So I was like, I cannot leave them. And that kept me you know, just wanting to fight. I really think you have to fight for what you want. Mm. Things don't always come easy. And if you, if you just shrivel up, you know, shrivel up and die, that's another saying, I'm just going to shrivel up and die. Right. I mean, that is a saying for a reason, you know, I wasn't about to give up, but I was like, I have a brain tumor. What's, what do we got to do here? Let's, I wanted a plan of action. Wow. That is that's, you know, and it kind of makes you feel like you're a little bit in control in a situation where you're very un- out of control in situations, right? right? Right. Wow. So you meet with these two neurosurgeons, tag team, you had a 14 hour surgery. What was the after of that like for you? Right, right. It was Dr. Reed Thompson at Vanderbilt and Dr. David Haynes from um, St. Thomas. I want to get their names right. But yeah, after surgery, and they told me going into it that I could possibly have some facial paralysis um, and, you know, have some other difficulties. I may be on a feeding tube for six months or so. They said that's a possibility. You know, they want to tell you the possibilities. Um, And I remember hearing you probably won't be teaching your classes because I was teaching Zumba and weights and spinning. I was all about being in the gym working out, right? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like, oh, I can't imagine that. But not being able to teach for about a year and a half. They said it may take you that long to get back to where you are now. But they believed, you know, that I would be able to recover. And they said it's probably not cancer, but we'll test it, of course. So then that's in your mind. Oh, God, is this cancer? So the good news was it was not cancer. Um, the bad news was it was in the worst possible location. So I did lose, you know, my facial nerve. I did lose my hearing. Um, I had every kind of therapy you could think of. I couldn't walk at first, which is normal, really. But it was scary, of course. Um, but I had physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. My voice never came back like it was. I have a different voice. Um, facial therapy. You know, I still can't close my eye and whatnot, but it did improve, Um, you know, all of those things. And I remember my last Zumba class before my surgery, um, and I was homeschooling at the time, so we gave that up because, you know, I didn't 
want to put too much on me. I couldn't do it. And my kids needed to learn. Right. (laughs) So, um, you know, it was just really hard. I think the hardest parts were just not being there for my children. Like I wanted to be, um, like I was used to being. So that was the hardest part, but honestly, I was back in the gym in six weeks. Whoa. So how long were you in the hospital for? I was only in the hospital for three days. Did you go to a rehab or did you go right home? I went home. They sent me with a chair for the bathtub and, um, you know, the eye bubbles and, and I had appointments for my therapies. But when we got home, I was like, I am not getting in that bath chair. And we never use that thing. <laughs> I just had a little bar in my shower. So I was, I guess, pretty um, hard headed. If that's what you want to call it. And, you know, when I went to the gym, of course, I wasn't driving, but my husband drove me and I really couldn't see very well. I had double vision and he propped me. He propped me against the wall and put dumbbells in my hand. So I was determined. I'm like, I'm in the gym. I'm getting my muscles back. Yes. (laughs) That is awesome. So you mentioned something about you know, you couldn't be there for the kids the way you want. This is for the moms that may be listening or somebody who's going through this. They have young kids for sure. Going through any type of gut punch, not necessarily a brain tumor, but something that takes you takes you out of the game for a little bit, for sure, or even permanently. What was what was your mind thinking versus what reality was and how did you make the best of it, you know? Right. Well, really, um, that period recovering was it that bad to be honest? I mean, brain surgery sounds pretty traumatic. I mean, it was because my head was shaved. I had a bubble. I was, people were looking at me funny because my facial paralysis was way worse. And that was the hardest part to deal with was looking this way. Um, Mm. But honestly, the part about the children, when my tumor after a year, okay, after a year, my tumor came back. They couldn't get it all. And when it came back, I had radiation. And that is when I was so sick and in the bed and missing out on my daughter's first dance, school dance, missing out on my son's fourth grade walk. Here um, in Tennessee, we have a section of schools. It's kindergarten through fourth grade. And then they graduate and go to middle school. So for fourth grade walk, it's like 26 miles. And it's all, you always have a parent there. My son, my daughter did it with my husband. So I was going to do it with our son. And it was just a flop. My poor son is walking the same by himself. You know, it was awful. It was really awful. And I, I struggled with that. I just felt so left out. Of course, my daughter later told me it was great because I wasn't around. <laughs> so she could do whatever she wanted. She laughed, <laughs> she laughed saying that. Yeah. But, you know. It's all perspective. And then my son, he really struggled. He was in the um, the gifted kids class and the teacher was really mean. And one day he just had a little, like, he couldn't focus. And she was mean to him. She's like, I don't care if your mother had brain surgery and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, I want to be at that school beating this woman up. Oh my God, that's <laughs> I mean, brutal. it was just like, you do feel out of control. Like you said earlier, sometimes you don't have control. And it was a time of me just laying in bed. I had a lot of prayer, um, a lot of reading and trusting that my children were going to be fine. 
and, and it was hard, but we got through it. Wow. So you had the surgery, you recovered the best way you can. You did a lot of work. You hit the gym six weeks after, which is unbelievable. You know, I, I'm blessed too. Like I was only spent one day in the hospital, but I was out walking for a while, you know, and then I was able to get back to what I was doing. But so then it kind of came back and they had to do radiation. And that, that was what, a, about a year later, you said, or? Okay. Yeah. At my one year checkup, they saw, they, they were like, we can't believe this, but it's grown again. And that was almost harder to take than the first diagnosis. Yeah. Really tough. Was it? What was so tough about that for you? Because I was thinking I cannot go. I, I just, my first thought, I mean, it was like my heart just sunk in my gut. I cannot go through that again. And Dr. Thompson said, you know, with me telling me all of this, he said, I can't go through that again. That was horrible 14 hour surgery. Um, and he said, if it were my wife, what I would do is the radiation. Um, so that's, that's the route we took. And it was 27 rounds. Oh my God. And how did that affect you? Wow. Well, um, after I had my head shaved, now all the hair fell out um, back here, you know, in that area. And I got spots on my face and they said, your teeth may fall out. Um, I was terribly, terribly sick. And it really didn't hit me the sickness until after. It was like the very end. I said I was a late bloomer. Um, because I kind of breezed through it. I would blog every day because they had the radio going during my treatments. And I would always post it about the songs. Like the first song was Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. And I was just saying, I was praying that, you know, hit me where it needs to be. Nowhere else, Lord. Um, but yeah, after everything, we were on a Boy Scout trip in our hotel. And I'm brushing my hair and it starts falling out. And then I got sick. Then I got really sick and I was in the bed um, after we got home. Thank God I was home. But I was really sick for about two weeks. And at first I thought I had some kind of weird flu, but then I found out it was the after effects. And that really was when I started my wellness journey, mm -hmm. looking into nutrition because I'd always been fit and in the gym and working out, but I really didn't know anything about food and food is medicine and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So that's kind of what led, led me down to that path. Wow. Wow. So where are you now with it? So it's, there's no more, they can't operate, but it could keep coming back. Like what is, what's kind of where you at, where you stand? Yeah, it's a pretty scary thing. Um, so in 2013, I had my first good report and let me backtrack because I don't want to leave this part out sure. after my yeah after my radiation after the 27 rounds and I waited a month and we did another MRI mm -hmm. and it was like a look of disbelief we can't believe this it's grown again yeah and so he said it could be inflammation it could be you know we waited a month but maybe it's still there lingering mm -hmm. um so we'll wait 30 more days and I have to give like 
massive shout out to my friends, my prayer warrior friends, because they set their alarms every three hours and took turns praying for me for 30 days, every three hours. And I believe in the power of prayer. And after that, it stopped growing. And then, yeah, so then I started, you know, my wellness, let me take care of this body. What am I missing? And started adding more things that I wasn't getting. And then a year later, it had shrunk. And since then, that was in 2013, since then it has been stable and not grown, but I do still have part of that tumor there that they could not get out. Yeah. Wow. And how do you feel about that? Is it always like this thing and no pun intended in the back of your mind? (laughs) Right back there. (laughs) Right back there is like, how, how do you, you know, mentally, does that sit with you or how do you handle that mentally for sure? Right, right. It, I usually, I mean, most days I don't think about it, honestly. I don't even think about it. Now, I do a lot of speaking, sharing my story, you know, with my business, but I don't think about it really unless I'm talking about it. And, you know, our words have power, right? Our words have power. So I try to just stay, what am I focused on? I'll try to think about what I can do now, what I can do in the future. Um, as far as my health and helping others. I think when we're serving other people, it takes, you know, you're not focused on yourself and your own problems as much because so many others have it so much worse. I mean, I just found out that, um, what is his name? The famous dancer just this morning. What was his name? Trip? I can't think of his name. Anyway, a famous dancer, because I love dancing, um, just committed suicide. And you would look at him. Yeah, it was all over Instagram. You would look at him and think he was so happy. He was married to another dancer. They had children. And you just never know what people are going through in their mind and in their hearts. So everything may look perfect on the outside. So I try to, I just try to dig into my relationships and the people I know. And I, like I said, I do believe in the power of prayer. I know God is with me and I feel like he's healed me. And there's a purpose. And if for some reason it did grow, um, you know, I'll just handle that when it gets here. I know God will equip me. And I actually got to be part of a book collaboration that should come out in February of different facial paralysis survivors. Um, Yeah. So that's probably been the hardest thing I've had to deal with just being a woman and always in front of the camera, um, you know, just not looking like myself. I'll never look like I did before my brain surgery. I'll never look like me. And that's hard. I I can't imagine for sure. Like, cause I, I couldn't, you know, that's gotta be difficult for, especially, you know, ladies. I don't know. I don't know about guys, the guys probably too, but more so ladies, but oh my God. Yeah. So the one thing that I love is that you share it. Like, you're taking pictures, you're out on social media, you're doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. You, and you know, this morning, it's so funny how God, I feel like he gives you what you need in the morning. Like every morning, if I read a devotion or scripture, somehow it's going to come back at me. And today it was about, well, I love I'm, every, in December, I like to read a chapter of Luke a day until the end. Then you get the whole Christmas story, you know, the whole shebang. And I love that. But I also have this journal and journaling is therapeutic. So anybody going through hard times, start 
praying, seeking God, and journaling because things will come to you if you'll just start the process. This morning, the question in my journal was, how has something bad that's happened to you turned out to be good and help somebody else? And how about me being on this podcast today, getting to share this? And I was thinking, when I had the facial paralysis, I did not shy back. And some women will never show a picture of themselves. It's really heartbreaking um, because they're so worried what people will think. Um, but I remember I was sharing pictures on Instagram and this young lady reached out to me and she said, do you know about the Facebook group? And I was like, no. So she invited me to the Facebook group and I have met the most amazing women. And there are a few men. There are children born with facial paralysis. There are all kinds of different, you know, Bell's palsy, Ramsey Hunt, all kinds of different issues. And if it wasn't for this, for me, I would not have these amazing friends now. And one is in Australia. We FaceTime sometimes. It's so funny. One time I accidentally called her on FaceTime and she answered. And I think it's like <laughs> one of us was early in the morning, late at night. It was just, it was hilarious. So God has just, always bless me with good people and I think if I hadn't you know put myself out I'd be missing out on all that and I've had several tell me because of your bravery I was able to put a picture up you know or share my story so yeah thank you for saying that because you know that's what it's all about it's not about us it's not that was you know, I've always had kind of a service for others, but when I was diagnosed, like it was a gut punch for sure. I was like, holy cow. And, you know, there was a lot of unanswered during that. I asked God, I was like, you know, what are you trying, what are you trying to show me here? You know what I mean? Like, what is this message? And I came up with a lot. Like I was grinding life out, working super hard, doing stuff when I didn't need to. I was always like with the gas and the, the gas pedal and the brake on at the same time. And I always really ate well. I took care of the physical part, but the other part, you know, the mental, spiritual and all that really wasn't as toned up. And I, somebody asked me when I was going through it, like, what do you think about? And it wasn't like an extra $200,000 would have done anything for me at the time. I could have cared less. It was more about like, what's my purpose here? Am I doing God's work here? Right. And I felt like I was, but I could be doing more. And I love your story that you share about A, helping others and the prayer. Because I put my story out. I had a hard time putting it into words what, when I was diagnosed, what was up. And the outcry that I got from people all like was amazing and they were all praying on the journey and I think that is huge for sure it is it is and it's so good to include people because they do care and they want to pray and you know when you keep people from that blessing they're missing out they want to help you and serve you and that's another lesson I learned while I was in bed sick my best friend would come and clean my house. And wow. they I had so many people bring me meals and all of these things. And it's just your total no control. And they're serving you. But God showed me that they're getting a huge blessing from that. And when you 
don't allow other people to serve and help you, you're stopping that blessing. So it's, it's easy to give, you know, it's fun to give and get out and do things, but sometimes you have to receive it as well. And that can be tough. Yeah, that that, be- that's a great perspective for sure is allowing somebody to help you in some way, you know, and wow, that's a, that's super, super powerful. The, the other thing that you shared about, which, which, I, you know, you were talking about the facial paralysis and the group. Um, I found that I, you know, everyone's like, oh, social media, <laughs> you know, it distracts us all these things negative, but I have to say, Sharing my story on social media was really powerful. People reached out. It was great. Also, some of these groups, because, you know, I work in healthcare too, and I talk to some patients about other types of issues. And I'm like, you know, Facebook has this ability to have groups. And I got into a couple brain tumor groups that were so helpful. And if you're up in the middle of the night or you're stressed out about something, you type it in, you get all this support and, and all that stuff. So- I love that you shared that. Did you find that that was helpful for helping other people? Did you find that helpful? Oh, absolutely. It feels good. It feels good to be able to give back and to help other people be brave, you know, to come out and share their story and share their pictures and the little children, you know, you get to see their pictures and it's just, uh, it's just very powerful, very powerful. Another fun thing I do that I almost forgot about, but every May, which is Brain Tumor Awareness Month, mm-hmm. I do a brain tumor dance party because I love. And so all the instruct all the other fitness instructors, we all come together and everybody brings their people. And we just, you know, everybody can donate if they want. And I get to go give it to Dr. Reed Thompson, who was my neurosurgeon, the head of brain tumor research at Vanderbilt. And so it is, that just makes my heart so full, you know, taking this donation. um, And usually my son always goes with me um, a couple of, one time I had some friends go with me, some other instructor friends, but it's just really, really been amazing to be a part of that. And I'm so grateful, so grateful that people want to jump in and partner with me. That is so awesome. And, you know, and I love what you're doing. You know, you're helping people get healthy physically. You know, you got a business that that helps do that. You're out there in, in the world and you're, you're just making it happen. And that's great. And you've given some, some really great insights. Is there anything else that you feel would be helpful or that you learned or something that would, that, you know, in this journey that, that really has taught you something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I remember being in ICU after my surgery and the first time I was going to walk to the bathroom by myself and I hadn't seen myself yet. And I remember going into the bathroom and then there's a mirror right above the sink and I didn't look in it at first and it kind of caught my breath. I thought, wait a minute, there's a mirror. I can see my face, what I look like. And I just kind of took that deep breath and looked. And my first thought was, we're going on another adventure. And that was my prayer. My first thought was a prayer to God. We're going on another adventure. And I just, I guess I just want to encourage everybody out there that whatever you're going through, God is with you. He loves you. If you just ask, you know, if you just ask for help, 
he wants to help us and be with us. And life's not perfect. And we can't understand why things happen. You know, I just always say we're in a fallen world. Bad things are going to happen and it can make you bitter or better. But if you know that God's with you and he'll get you through it, you won't get over it. Sometimes, you know, you're still going to have those painful moments, but you'll get through it and he'll put the right people in your life. He'll, he'll give you everything you need. He'll give you peace that passes understanding. He'll, he'll just give you that joy unspeakable. And I really honestly believe that. And I, if anybody ever just wants to ask me more about that, I'm, I'm always willing to chat. Awesome. And we'll put your contact info in the show notes for sure. And uh, we'll share this around the realms of, of the social media to see how your story could really, really inspire others. And, you know, the one thing, you know, I was thinking as you were sharing, sometimes people struggle a little bit on the spiritual side, you know, and, and go to God and, or they don't have a connection with the God or, a, or any kind of power grid in themselves, whatever. What would you say to somebody that might be struggling with that? Yeah. You know, and I tell my kids this, they're grown adults, you know, they can't, they can't really know God through me. This has to be between them and God. Yeah. And I've heard, whoops, there's my, there's my daughter now. <laughs> she calls me every day on her way home from school. She teaches first grade, but yeah. I always tell them you have to seek God. And, and I heard from another Bible study teacher. She said, you know, God has his own unique language between every person every person, you know, with Todd, he's got his own language with you. And I honestly believe that God wants to have a relationship with every person, every person. And all they have to do is ask. And in the Bible, it says, seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. If you really want to know God, spend time alone praying. And he's going to either put somebody in your life, somebody's going to pop in an angel or, or a human something. And he's going to speak to you. Maybe sometimes it's directly to your heart, but you just have to say, God, come in my life. I need you. And he's there. And for those that don't believe, if you keep seeking, I believe you're going to believe. Yeah. Faith yeah. is the evidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can't see it. You know, just yeah. like the air we breathe in, we can't see it. I know. And you know, it's, it's, really interesting everything you said has been my experience too but i had this manager he was a boss at one time and he, he used to say this and i thought this all around my surgery time he goes you know todd he had he was the king of one-liners he would say you know todd there's no atheists in foxholes when the bombs are flying you're praying the something right, right. that's a good one <laughs> i, I kept that one. in my mind and i'm like I, I like to practice before the bombs fly, you know, right. What I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's so important. And it's important for those not in a panic place to know yeah. God, have that relationship with God so that when the hard times come, you know, okay, he's got me. Yeah. You know, we're not in a, a state of desperation, but if you do, if it is like he's there too. But it's so much better when you can walk hand in hand with him every single day. That is fantastic. Angel, thank you so much for you sharing today. And your story is just amazing. And uh, I love how you're 
out there helping others in the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.